want you to have your way in this space and in this time. It's yours. You have placed upon our hearts your will for our lives. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be obedient to that today. In the good times and in the bad times, Lord, we give you praise and we say thank you. Your word makes it very clear, Lord, that there are times that we will face trials, we will face hard times. When we, when we sign up <laughs> to be a Christian, it's not signing up for prosperity and blessings and no hard times. It's signing up to die. We sign up to die to ourselves today, to open our hearts and open our minds to what you would have for us this morning. God, you are in control. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. Amen? All the time. God is good. God is good. I got a text message last night from uh, my old youth leader that I was telling you about last week, Phil. And I told my wife, I said, he just has impeccable timing. I don't know what he was thinking about. And then, then I thought about it. I said, it's God. It was a God thing. And he sent me a message just encouraging me, and uh, I thank him for that. I thank him that uh, we have friends that go with us, but one of those things we say all the time, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. His son, when we were in youth group, and I forgot about it until he mentioned it last night, his son, which is a couple years older than me, Josh, he goes, God isn't just good, God is great. God is great all the time. And I thought, amen, he is great. I want to invite you to turn with me in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is where we're going to be looking today, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews is towards the end of your New Testament, and uh, we're going to have it on the screen here for you in just a minute as well. But um, we're in the middle of a series uh, called Prayer, just simply prayer. And uh, we could go many different ways with that, and we have gone many different ways. And, and all of this is kind of in, in purpose for us to get into a group, community life group. If you're not in a group, it's not too late. Please uh, make time, either Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, to get into a group, get plugged in, engage with other people that are going through life with you, that are talking about this, that are, that are trying to live it out, that are trying to make the most of their walk with the Lord. And uh, it, it'll encourage you. It'll bless you. I, I would almost guarantee it. If you would give it a try, you would enjoy it. You would get a blessing from it. So I want to I just encourage you to get in a group. If you're not in a group yet, it's not too late. Uh, just, just go and pick one. There's information on the welcome table about all the groups and where they meet, and you can find a place to get plugged in and get engaged. Today, I want to start a mini-series, if you will, within our series. I love it when, when uh, we're watching a, a certain show that we tend to watch, and all of a sudden, in the storyline, there's an extra storyline, and it just keeps you plugged in. They, they kind of just sink their teeth into you, and you just want it. You want it more, and, and how much more can we want the things of the Lord? Amen? And so I want to give you a little mini-series inside of our series for the next two weeks on this very question, as you see in front of you. Can we trust prayer? We've been talking about prayer in, in a few different ways and, and, and many different ways of how to pray or, or why we pray or why did Paul pray and why did Jesus pray certain things. But then I, I believe, and as I've been praying myself this week and, and thinking about this, this series continually, I think there's times when we go through life, and last week I confessed to you that, that I'm, a, I'm a prayer struggler. 
Uh, I struggle to pray sometimes, and I struggle with what to pray and how to pray. And I think I'm not alone in that. And so there's times when I think about my own prayer life, and I think, you know what, is what I'm praying, can I really trust prayer? Can I really trust prayer? And, and the, the easy answer for us today, and the easy answer for us as we think about prayer, and as, as we come to church week in and week out, and we, we, we worship the Lord, and we call ourselves Christians, is the simple answer is yes, of course. We, we trust God, so we can trust prayer. But really, our faith is determined in not just what we believe, but what do we trust? What do we live out? What do we believe? So we're going we're gonna to start this little mini-series on can we trust prayer. And today I want to talk to you about uh, one of the very reasons why we can. And we're going to get into this in the book of Hebrews today. But you see, in the world in which we live in today, there's a saying that rings true in many areas of life. And it's in your notes. If you're taking notes, jot this down. It's not a matter of what you know, but who you know. This is so true in many different ways, in many different areas of life. Uh, when it comes to your, your work life, your jobs, uh, many times when you're filling out a resume, you list some references. Well, why do you do that? Because you're showing people not just what you know, but who you know. Who you know and who knows you. Who can step up for you. I want to tell you a brief story about, about my life. I was in the process of really digging into where does God want us to go and serve in vocational ministry. We were living in Wichita, or we were living in Kansas City, and uh, we were sending out resumes to churches and to district superintendents to say, hey, we're ready. Whenever the Lord leads, if there's an open door, we're ready to go. And one of the first opportunities we had was to interview in, uh, in Wichita at my dad's church, at our home church. And uh, we were excited about that opportunity, and we submitted our resume, and we went through the process, and we interviewed, and, and everything went well, and it was a good thing, and we were thinking this is where God would lead us, and, and then it, it wasn't, but that's not the point of the story. Um, the point of the story is, as I was able to talk to my dad through their process, he showed me some of the other resumes he got. And one of the resumes that they got from another candidate they were looking at had references that just blew my mind. You know, I had references of, of pastors and, and friends that knew me, that, that I knew, but there was this one resume that every reference on his resume was either a district superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene or a general superintendent in the, super, in the Church of the Nazarene. And I thought, who's going to compete with that? He just makes a call and he can get a job. You know, that's great. You know, I'm, I'm ooh, it's not a matter of what you know, it's who you know. So there's, there's many different things in life where that applies. You know, you, you find people that become your friends, and they become your mentors. They become people that love you and care about you. They become people that you would call friends. Friends. They're people that, that want the best for you. They're, they're for you. They're not against you. They want you to succeed. You see, when it comes to this world, we, got, we have to know who our friends are. And I think it's very important that we know who are not our friends as well. Who, who are those that are our foe? Those that are against us? Those that don't want us to succeed? And many times I think that's the block in our prayer life. Can we really trust prayer? And it, it really comes down to can we really trust who we're praying to? The question we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks is can we trust prayer? Because if we can't answer that question honestly, it impacts our faith. 
It impacts our faith and our belief system. Can we trust prayer? You see, who we pray to determines our faith and the answer to our prayer. Let me say that again. Who we pray to determines our faith in the answer of our prayer. Let's look at our text this morning from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Just a couple of verses here in chapter 4, verses 14 and through 16 that we're going to read. I'm going to first read it in the New International Version, the NIV. That's what's in your pew Bible if you have that and took a look there. It's on the screen here for you. Let's read this. Listen to me as I read this to you from Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now I want you to see this in another translation. It brings out some different words that kind of, at least for me, help me to understand this verse a little bit more. So I want you to, to see this in the New Living Translation as well. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Hang on one second. Go back to that. Hold firmly to what we believe. There's that, there's that whole faith concept. We believe in something, but to hold firmly on that means we're going to trust that. So you see where I'm going with this? Faith is not just believing. Even the demons believe. We've got to hold firmly. We've got to trust it. Okay, let's go on. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Amen? So if we're truly going to answer this question, can we trust prayer, we must understand the process of prayer. I want to give you a brief little history lesson here for you today, if, if you don't mind. Today, we think of some words when we think about addressing prayer and talking to somebody and we think of prayer sometimes, I'm sure we think of it in a, in a sense of, well, we're going to say, you know, dear God, thank you for this day. And then we're going to give him our list. And then we're going to close it by saying amen. And, and many of us, we go through a process in our life and in our prayer life where that becomes our go-to prayer. And there's nothing wrong with that prayer. Let me, just, let me just start there. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need a full understanding of what prayer really is all about, Okay. And so let me give you a little bit of, of history here. In the Old Testament, there's a history of prayer. You see, when God was setting up the nations, he's helping Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, and they're working on their relationship. Then he moves on to Moses and the people of Israel, and he begins to organize the people of Israel into, into tribes. And he's doing it for a reason, because he's, he's trying to establish a relationship with his people. And God set up the nation into 12 specific tribes in the Old Testament. And there was one tribe, the tribe of Aaron, was given the task or a calling of being priests. Each man in this tribe was, was called a Levite, and they were given the responsibility of taking care of all the things that included the temple or the tabernacle service. 
So whether that was sacrifices or prayer or their time of worship and bringing things to the, to the temple or the tabernacle, but it was also to be a, a voice for the people. They were the priests of the people. They were helping guide them into a relationship. They were responsible for the sacrifices that were brought to worship. They were responsible also for communication between God and the rest of the people. You see, so the people would go to the priest to offer their worship, their prayers, and their petitions or requests. Then they would trust the priest to communicate those to God and then to communicate back to them what God was saying. You see, the priest became the middleman of the relationship between God and man. As the priest would continue in their service, there's one priest that was greater than the others. He was called to be the great high priest. And the high priest was the one man that could go into the most holy places in the temple, the tabernacle. He was the, place, he was the person that could go into the holy of holies. He could go into the innermost part where they believed the presence of God was at. One man could take these requests, take these sacrifices, take these sin offerings into the holy of holies so that the, all of the people could get salvation for their sins through their sacrifice. As the priests would continue in their service, there was, they would go, they, the high priest would do this. You know, Usually in the Jewish culture, it was once a year, the Day of Atonement, that they would go into the most holy of holies. But so this process had the people in this relationship where they had to trust another human being with their walk with the Lord. They had to trust the priest with their sacrifices. They had to trust the priest for forgiveness. They had to trust the priest for their worship. Now, many of you, if you had to do that today, you would walk out of these doors because you just don't trust me that much. That's just the fact of the matter, right? No, good, that's good. But thankfully, we don't have the same relationship now. You see, there was even a time in the Old Testament, and this goes even before some of our new understanding of, of religion and denominations, but even in the Old Testament in the Jewish culture, there became some priests that became hard-hearted. They became corrupt, if you will. And they began to take you know, shortcuts when it came to the tabernacle services and the worship time and the prayer time. And they began to, just, they began to really degrade the relationship with God to the people. And God did not look lightly on that. He began to, to, uh, to become just with those priests. And there's some stories, as you read in the Old Testament, that God struck them down dead in their tracks for what they were doing. You see, the people, they needed a representative that had their best interest in mind. They needed an advocate for them, rather than somebody who just wanted to slip through and cut corners. You see, they needed a friend, not a foe. You see, and when, when there became corruption, God knew that. And God knew that there had to be a better way than this process of prayer. And so God, in His greatness, came up with this plan <laughs> to change the relationship context with His people. And the plan involved sending His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to come and to be a part of this world, to come and to live as a human being, being fully God and fully man. Why is that so important? Because Jesus came from heaven to go through life just like you and I did. You see, Jesus was given a title because when he went through life and he was tempted 
and he went through life and he went through the struggles. He did not sin. He did not give in to that temptation. And then he went to a cross and he paid the ultimate sacrifice for your sins and mine. And he died for us. He took our sins upon him. And when he did that, and he descended to the lowest of lows into hell, and he defeated hell, and he defeated the grave, and he came back and he ascended into heaven, and the Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father now, and he is called our great high priest. You see, so now we don't have to go through some priest or pastor or preacher. We can go straight to the Father, and guess who's right next to him going on our behalf? So when we go to the Father and we say, man, God, I've really messed up. I know you don't understand this because you haven't been there. Jesus is saying, yeah, but Dad, I do. I know exactly what they're going through. And he is an advocate for us. He goes to the plate for us. He goes and steps in line and he says, you know what? I'll be your representative to the Father. Jesus was called to be our sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was called to be our mediator in our negotiations with God. You see, Jesus was called to be our friend. Jesus was called to go through life and struggle so that He could go to the Father on our behalf. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a court of law <clears throat> personally where you've had to sit in front of a judge and sit at one of those tables in the room where you are in court, you are the subject of what's going on. I had a very special encounter with this one time. And uh, we, we, got all, we got all ready for it. We had to, we had to get paperwork uh, dealt with, and we had to do all this stuff. And so we knew we needed some help. And so what we did is we went to, uh, uh, we went to one of our friends who happened to be an attorney. And I went to him and I said, uh, Drew, I need your help. I said, this is what we're trying to do. And uh, this is what's going on, and this is the, the obstacles we're coming in front of, and can you help us? And so in going to Drew, he said, you know what, I would love to help you because I believe in what you're doing. I believe in you as a person, and I want to help you. And not only that, he did it just out of the graciousness of his heart and of his experience. And so Drew became our advocate. He was our attorney. He was the defender of us. And he was our friend in this situation. You see, this situation was um, 13 years ago, about somewhere in there. I was going to court to defend my right to adopt my son as my own. He was going to be mine. And in doing that, what we had to do is we had to establish a defense that said, I was more capable and more willing to stand up and be the father of Ian than his biological father. So we had to go to court and defend this. And so our attorney's sitting at the table. I'm sitting there. Alicia's next to me. Ian's waiting. And then on the other table is the attorney for his biological father. And so we're sitting there. I'm nervous as I can be, as you can imagine. And, and Drew's coming in there, and he's already talked to the judge, and he just says, you know what? You're going to answer some questions. We're going we're gonna to talk to the judge about your heart and what you're going through and what, why you want to do this. And, and we're going to defend your right to become the father of Ian. And so we sat there, and as the judge came into the courtroom, we, we all stood and we all did all the stuff that you do in a courtroom. And as 
he began to address me directly in the courtroom. He began to ask questions about my relationship with Ian and how long I'd been in his life and why would I want to take on this responsibility when he's not biologically mine. And we would go through all these questions and if there was ever a hesitation in, in my answer or my understanding of the process, my advocate was right there next to me. And he would say in my defense to the judge what I couldn't say. And in the end, all of it came out to be where my advocate, Drew, cared about me, he cared about Ian, he cared about our family, more than anybody else in that courtroom besides us. And he was willing to go put his reputation on the line for us. It was the first time in my life where I really understood this concept. You know what? I had to put a lot of trust in Drew. I had to, I had to put a lot of trust because I didn't know the process. But Drew was able to ease our mind. He was able to help us support our defense for our family. You see, our attorney was our friend, and he had our best interest in mind. And I believe that's what Jesus is qualified to do now as well. Because he came to be flesh so that he could be our friend, not our foe. And so today, we can trust prayer because Jesus is our friend and not our foe. Let me make a defense for Jesus if you still need one. There's three things that we need to understand about this so that we can see why we can trust prayer. The first thing is this. His, Jesus' temptations, give him his understanding. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, we read about Jesus being tempted right before he begins his ministry. I think this is an interesting story because Jesus has, has gone through his life he knows what's coming, and then all of a sudden, right before he's going to enter into his official ministry, the Bible says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Wow. God the Father says to his Son, Jesus, you're going to go to earth. You're going to live this life. You're going to be the ultimate sacrifice for my people. And then you're going to die a criminal's death. You're going to be raised to new life again and come back. But then, in the midst of all this, guess what? I'm going to put you out in the wilderness for 40 days, and I'm going to let the enemy have full access to you. Wow. We thought we had it tough. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. Sometimes I wonder, why was he tempted? Well, here's the thing. Every temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness is temptation that you and I face. And sometimes we don't see it that way because we read it word for word in the black and white. And we're like, well, I've never been taken to the top of the temple or the top of the mountainside. But let me, let me explain this to you, okay? The first temptation that Jesus was faced with is Jesus was tempted physically with hunger. Have you ever had a physical temptation in your life? A temptation that, that talked to your physical needs? Or how are you going to get your next meal? Or how are you going to take care of the clothes or your, the, the home above your head or, or physical well-being? Jesus was out there for 40 days and 40 nights with no food. He was hungry. He was hungry. And Satan would come to Jesus and he said, If you're God, tell these rocks to turn into bread and you can have food to fix your hunger. Seems like a logical plan. He is God in the flesh. He could have done it. But how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds with God's Word. Was it last week we talked about we've got to apply God's Word to know what's best in our life? 
Jesus knew God's Word, and this is what He said. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Father. So He attacks the attack with Scripture. Jesus was tempted physically with hunger. Jesus was also tempted with fame and glory. Have you ever been tempted to advance in your job or to, to become the, the popular kid at school or, or to have people like you? Have you ever been tempted to, to go out of your way to get fame or to get glory or recognition? You see, Jesus had been through that. As you have read in the Scripture, you see that Jesus was there in the wilderness and Satan says to him, if you are so special, see all the world that's at your feet. It is mine. It's been given to me. He's saying to Jesus, I will give it to you, Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the fame. I'll give you all the glory. We'll, we'll, in, a, in essence, we'll fast forward God's timeline because you can now have all of this before it's time. All you have to do is worship me. And how does Jesus respond to the attack? Jesus responds with God's word. You must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. So once again, Jesus is faced with a temptation that you and I can relate to, and yet He responds to that attack with an attack of His own, a response from God's Word. Truth, to get through the temptation. Jesus was tempted with hunger. He was tempted with fame and glory. And finally, Jesus was tempted with pride. You see, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And one of the temptations that Satan put him through is he, he took him to the top of a mountain and he said, if, if you are God, the angels have been ordered to protect you. Why don't you jump off of this mountaintop and let them save you? In other words, if you are who you say you are, why don't you just show off a little bit? Why don't you just show us who you really are? Why don't you just give us a taste of what it's like to have all of this at your fingertips? And Jesus, once again, responds with God's word. And he says, do not test the Lord your God. You see, through all of this time, Jesus is going through the very same things that you and I go through. Why? Because when you and I are going through it, and the Bible says when you are faced with temptation, that you should flee from it and run from it. It says that anytime you're faced with temptation, that the Father in heaven will give you a way out, just like he gave Jesus a way out. So many times we sit here and we say, I just couldn't help it. I just had to give in. I just had to, I had just had to give in to temptation. No, you don't. You see, Jesus went through it too. And Jesus knows what you're going through. And all we have to do is call out to him and say, Jesus, you are my advocate. You are my helper. You've been through this. How can I get through it? Can we trust prayer? We can trust prayer because his temptations give him an understanding of what we're going through. Amen? The second thing is this. His sacrifice is his qualification. The position of priest and even high priest was not something that could be worked for and obtained in the flesh. In the Old Testament, the priests were chosen by God. They were set apart. Hebrews 5.4 says this, 
and no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. You see, at that time, let's, let's finish that. He was called to be, he has to be called by God for this work. You see, there's, there was a time in history in, in the Old Testament and even some today where there was a prestige factor in being a priest or a, a, a person of, of religious leadership. There was a time and place when, when priests and, and pastors and leaders in the church were, were put on a pedestal. They were, they were exalted high. There was a prestige factor. People respected them. They, they wanted to be like them. They wanted to have the, the benefits of that. And yet, it's not something that you can just want to have. You've got to be called to it. And you see, Jesus, probably, I can I don't know this, I'm not Jesus, but as he's there with God in heaven looking down and there's things that are going on in that relationship that just don't seem right, and God the Father probably comes to Jesus, and again, this is my just understanding of it and very simple-mindedness of, if I'm in heaven already with God, why would I want to go down to earth? Why would I want to leave the splendor and glory of heaven to go to earth? Yet he did. Why? Not because he wanted to, because he was called by God to do it. He was called by God to go and do this work. You see, why is the writer of the Hebrews so adamant about Christ's work in our lives? Because Jesus Christ made the biggest sacrifice that anybody could make so that he would be qualified to be our friend and our advocate, our Savior. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10 says this, What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels and now is crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death for us. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone in the world. And it was only right that God, who made everything and for whom everything was made, should bring his many children into glory. Through the suffering of Jesus, God made him a perfect leader, one fit to bring them into their salvation. Jesus' sacrifice of death and being separated from the Father gave him qualification to be our advocate and our defender to the Father. You see, Jesus had to go through what he had to go through so that you and I could be brought to the courtroom of God and have the best defender and advocate there is. Amen? Some people think that it's best to learn from people that have faced adversity and they've, they've gone through adversity and they've gone out through hard times, but they've come through it on the other side and they're, they're doing well and they're doing okay. Some people think those are the best people to learn from and the best people to follow and admire. I, I want to take it a little bit further. I think the best people to follow would be somebody who's faced adversity and faced hard times and, and did it all without sinning and then came through it and was exalted to the highest place once again. I'd rather follow that guy than somebody who stumbled through the adversities. Somebody who, who made it through, but it was a struggle. I would rather follow somebody who made it through. Why? For my behalf. Who did it not because he had to, because he was called to. Because he loves us. 
Can we trust prayer? <laughs> we can trust prayer because of Jesus' sacrifice of death. We can trust prayer because Jesus died so that you and I don't have to. We can trust prayer because Jesus was separated from God so you and I don't have to be. We can trust prayer because His sacrifice gave Him the qualification to defend us. The third thing is this. His love is our hope. His love is our hope. I don't know about you, but when I go to somebody for help, when I go to someone to refer me for something, I want somebody to, to give me hope for that. Let me give you an example. If, if I go to my doctor and he is at a loss for what's going on in my, in my body and in my life, and I want him to refer me to somebody who's going to give me hope that there's answers. I want him to, to, to refer me to somebody who, who knows a little bit more that can take it a step further. Let me give you another example. I'm, I've, got this, I've got this mirror in my bathroom at home. It's a three-part mirror. The middle mirror has come down, so it, it broke, and we tried to fix it, and now it broke again. And so now I have all the pieces in my hallway to change the mirror out. But I need a referral of somebody who knows how to do that. Because I don't know how to do that. I've got all the pieces, but I need somebody to, that can refer me to somebody to help me. That can be my advocate. That can be a, a beneficiary for me. That can help me get the job done. You see, give me hope that I don't have to stare at the medicine in the cabinet, but one day I can shave by looking at the mirror again. I don't have to miss spots, you know. I only shave once a week now because I, never mind. That's, you see what I'm saying? We, we got to have somebody that we know will go have our back, that will help us take care of it. And sometimes, and I'll be honest, this is where I'm at with that situation, we let pride get in the way. When we say Jesus was tempted with pride, how many of us are tempted for pride? Gentlemen, how many of us are tempted for pride when we're traveling somewhere? We're lost, honey. No, we're not. We'll get there. Would you just pull over and ask for directions? Nope, nope, we're fine. That's how I am with this. No, I've got a screwdriver. I've got that bolt that'll take that off. I can do that. No. There's a reason I haven't done it yet. Yeah, exactly. I'm waiting for that referral. <laughs> waiting for that referral to give me some hope. To give my wife some hope <laughs> that it'll get done. We need to go to somebody who cares for us, who loves us, who wants the best for us, that'll give us hope. See, John 3.16, we go to that a lot as Christians as a staple. John 3.16 really is the ultimate showcase of God's love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Why did He do that? So that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God's love for us is so strong that while you and I were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Jesus loves us so much that we can have hope in God's plan. We can trust Him. <laughs> when I went to that courtroom, to adopt my son. 
I was going to that courtroom not to just adopt my son, but I was going to that courtroom to take away someone else's rights to a person that they didn't care for. But I did. I was going into that courtroom and I was going with my attorney who loved me and who loved Ian and who loved our family and desired the best for our family. That kind of love is the same kind of love that God has for each and every one of us. I know if I don't finish this story, you'll come and ask me later, so let me just finish it for you. That day, we finished everything, and the judge was very stoic the whole time. And he addressed me, and he said some words that I honestly don't even remember to this day. Because all I was waiting to hear for <laughs> was that it was approved. And he did. He approved it all. And we rejoiced. And we brought Ian into the courtroom. And we had dressed Ian up in a matching outfit with me. We got a picture of it still. We had our ties on and our shirts on. And we took a picture with the judge. And it was one of the coolest days of my life. But about a couple months later, so Wednesday night, we're getting ready for church, and it's chaotic in our apartment, and we're trying to get the kids ready and eat and go to church, and all of a sudden, there's a loud bang on the door. Boom, 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 boom. Who is that? So I go to the door, and <laughs> there's Drew. And I didn't know this at the time, but he had ran from the car and left his wife coming behind because he was so excited. And he had a folder. And in that folder was the official finalization of Ian's adoption. And not only that, it was a, a finalization of his name change. So forever Ian would be Ian Allen, Jasper Thielander. And it happened on the same day that Alicia and I got married. So we were officially a family on the same day. That's a God thing. But my attorney was so excited. He left his wife, who was actually bringing a cake for us to celebrate together. She goes, Drew, thanks for leaving me with this. He was so excited. He hugged us all. He stayed there and celebrated with us. And it was such an incredible day for our family. It gave us hope. It took fear away. It gave us something to long for and to look forward to. Something for us to be thankful for. It gave us something to trust. See, God wants us to trust Him. He sent Jesus to go through all that He went through so that we can trust Him. So that we can, when we come to pray and we present our requests, we don't have to wonder who's hearing it or, or what they're thinking, but we go to God with confidence, the Bible says. Approach the throne with confidence. Why? Because we have an advocate. Jesus Christ. Jesus' love for us gives us our hope in prayer. <laughs> Can we trust prayer? We must have confidence in our relationship with Jesus because He's our advocate, our friend our representative. 
The reality today is this. If Jesus is not on our side of the fight, then it's because we're on the wrong side. Jesus wants to be our advocate. He wants to be our representative, but He does not force Himself on anybody. Jesus wants to give us hope and confidence to trust Him when it comes to our prayer life. And if He's not on our side, we better change sides. We better get up from the table, make a conscious decision to say, Jesus, I'm accepting your help. I'm accepting your love. I'm accepting your forgiveness. And we sit down at His table, and then He stands there, And with every ounce of love that He has, every ounce of grace and mercy that He has, He goes to the Father on your behalf and on mine. Gives us hope. Gives us something we can trust. Who we pray to determines our faith and the answer to our prayers. Are we praying to somebody that has our back? Are we praying to a friend or a foe. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. God is here. He is faithful and just to hear our prayers. And I'm thankful that we have a high priest. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Can we trust prayer? Yes, we can. Because of Jesus' example and life He's lived. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us so much that you would send your one and only Son to die on a cross for my sins, for our sins, so that we would have somebody that understands what we're going through, so that we would have somebody that can walk with us through it, so that we can have somebody that will give us hope for the things to come. Thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to be the sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for making the sacrifice and leaving so that you could send the Holy Spirit to walk with us and guide us each step of the way. We love you. We give you praise and thanks for your love for us. Help us this week as we go. As we pray, may we be reminded that we have somebody who's on our side. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. We will.